Powerful Pens, the book club you can carry anywhere. We are your hosts and hopefully your new bookish pals. I'm Hannah MacDonald. And I'm Lydia Clare. This month's book club episode is dedicated to Best of Friends, the new novel by Kamala Shamsi. I know you bookends love a blurb, so give this a listen. In 1988 Karachi, two 14-year-old girls are a decade into their friendship, sharing in-jokes, secrets and a love for George Michael. As Pakistan's dictatorship falls and a woman comes to power, the world suddenly seems full of possibilities. Elated by the change in the air, they make a snap decision at a party. That night, everything goes wrong and the two girls are powerless to change the outcome. In present-day London, two influential women remain bound together by loyalties, disloyalties and the memory of that night, which echoes through the present in unexpected ways. Now both have power and both have very different ideas of how to wield it. Their friendship has always felt unbreakable. Can it be undone by one decision? Carmilla Shamsi is a Pakistani-British writer and novelist. She's the author of eight novels and her work has been translated into over 30 languages. Her novel Home Fire won the Women's Prize for Fiction in 2018 and the London Hellenic Prize. It was also longlisted for the Man Booker Prize and shortlisted for the Costa Best Novel Award. Carmilla is a fellow and vice president of the Royal Society of Literature and currently a professor of creative writing at the University of Manchester. Amongst all of this, she's somehow found the time to chat with us today about her latest novel, Best of Friends. Carmela, welcome to A Pair of Bookends. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on. So what we like to ask all our guests before we start, a little icebreaker is, yeah. um, and also something that we are keenly interested in <laughs> whenever we meet someone new, is what are you currently reading? I just last night finished Small Things Like These by Claire Keegan, which is on the book shortlist, which is fantastic. Yeah, and Lydia loved it. <laughs> and it's such a slim little volume of book, but it carries so much in it. It's yeah. I always have this dream, one day I'll write a novel that's 100 pages long. And I never do. <laughs> I Please don't, we want more of your words. <laughs> I actually, actually adored that book. Yeah. Like, it was just it was it's like this little pocket full of this world you have this tiny glimpse into it and it's just it just transports you it's just absolutely it's beautiful I need to read it didn't you say that it's it's set in like winter or something you said it was quite a good read for yeah it's like this time of if year. you're gonna read something for I'm gonna butcher the name but Jabok of Flood you know the Christmas Eve tradition in it's like Icelandic tradition Icelandic tradition yeah uh, of reading a book on Christmas Eve and you give it to family members and stuff and you all sit and you read that would uh, be the it's perfect a perfect place. little gem of a book to do that with that and Natasha Brown I never knew about this tradition this is really? yeah it's so it's like a traditional Icelandic kind of thing where on Christmas Eve you all your family sit together and you um all gift each other a book to read and you all read oh, and they just read each chocolate we didn't eat chocolate on Christmas Eve. Like, yeah, please. I bet they drink wine also. Come on. 100%. I hope so. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> if not, I'm not getting involved. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, a, it's cute. So if you want to partake in that this year, then small things like this would be a good one. Small things like this. And I think I read Natasha Brown's Assembly. I think you read that. Yeah, I read that last year. Well. Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. Great. That's one. also another fantastic little short read if anyone's, you know, wanting recommendations from me. To start with, we loved this book, loved it. So we'd love to know, have we said love enough? No. We'd love to know what inspired yep. the novel. What inspired the novel was 
was friendship and, and how important it is in my life. And, you know, sometimes as a writer, you find yourself getting irritated with other writers about something. And then you realize quite belatedly that actually the writer you're irritated with is yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so there was this point in life where I was getting irritated by the fact that, that there are so few novels where friendship is at the heart of it. And even when you do have friendships that are quite central, very often it's, it's two women, they're close friends, but then some boy comes along and the friendship falls apart and it all becomes about jealousy. And, and I thought, why can't we have proper novels about friendship? And obviously we have some, you know, Elena Ferrante, etc. but we didn't have enough. And then I realized, oh my God, I have written one novel after another in which either friendship doesn't exist or it's a subplot. And I was particularly interested in childhood friendships, you know, because they are so interesting in the way it's somewhere between friendship and family uh, yes. because you've known each other forever Absolutely. you've grown up in each other's houses you know you know you know who you were when you were four or when you were 11 or when you were 20 and also i think with childhood friendships it's far more possible to be really diametrically different because you became friends when you were six or eight or ten you didn't have you know personality in in the or you didn't have values or things you wanted to do with your life you were all at school together as in the book what mattered was do you love george michael <laughs> very important to know the answer to that question <laughs> so i want to look at one of those friendships where actually when they're when they're kids yes they love george michael but even at 14 you can start seeing they're really different in some ways and by the time they're in their mid-40s they're so different that if they were to meet now for the first time they wouldn't be friends mm. and what what it does when you have that distance between you in some ways um, and yet you're so close the, the tension of that was something I wanted to write about I think that's a great point as well because I do I look on my bookshelf and I think how many how many novels do I have I got do I own that I see that kind of relationship in mm. and I probably I, I can't count many no I can't and it's not it is refreshing to see that take and it not be about anything other than these two women you know and yeah. their childhood friendship and what it grows to be their relationship felt more powerful than their relationships with anybody else mm. around them and I, and you know we were speaking about this yesterday like female friendship is so powerful but I think specifically when we're looking at childhood friendship and a childhood friendship that lasts you know yeah. there are things that your childhood childhood friends know about you that you never have to kind of explain so you know if yeah. you're maybe a bit upset later in life about something that your mum said or like yeah. something that's happened with a member of your family like it's something that you don't really have to explain to that person because they've seen you know any issues that you've had growing up or mm. in your family mm. home you explored that perfectly you know the way that they engaged with each other's families I yeah. think was so like spot on I could definitely see some of my friendships in there yeah there's a there's a really, I think for me, one of the most important moments in the novel in terms of letting you know who they are to each other is there's a point quite late on where one of them, Zara, is very angry with the other, with Mariam. And she calls her father, Zara calls her own father, who's living in, in Pakistan. And the two, two of them are in London, Zara and Mariam. And her father says, well, look, here's the thing you need to know is, is your mother and I agreed long ago that the day one of us dies, the first call the other one will make is to Mariam. Mm. Because she's going to have to be the person to break the news to you. Mm -hmm. She has promised us that when that day comes, she will buy two plane tickets and fly with you back to Karachi because she won't let you make that journey alone. You know, And that I think is so central uh, that, that thing that not only that she's the person who your parents know and, and rely on because they've known her forever, but also that she will say, I'm going to fly home with you because I know the loss. You know, yeah. I, I knew you grew 
growing up as the child of your parents when they were strong and you were weak. Mm -hmm. And I noted when that turns on its head. So that's really important. But the other side of that is, of course, the only reason Zara is making this call is she really is very angry for really deep rooted reasons that she also can't ignore. Yeah. And it's one of these things doesn't outweigh the other. They just both sit there. Yeah. yeah. The, the love and the anger. I did really love that moment. And I think it, it made me want to cry and laugh in equal measure. <laughs> just to father being like, well, <laughs> this is somebody that we're fully aware is very important to you. You're going to get over this. Like, <laughs> just. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. I love that closeness. And I think it was done so well. And for me, what I found really interesting is that the novel is, it's not only a tale of, of these two women, but mm-hmm. it's a tale of two cities mm-hmm. and it's split into two parts. What kind of role did the, did that kind of duality have for you while writing the novel? It was really, I, it was one of the things I always knew about the novel. I always knew it would start in Karachi and it would end in London. And I mean, there's an obvious element, which is I know what it's like to be 14 in Karachi and I know what it's like to be 45 in London. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Even though the characters aren't me, but to sort of be girls, women at that stage of life and have a close friend, you know, in these particular cities and and what is going on around you is something I knew. But also I wanted to have them leave their childhood homes and go somewhere else because there's also a way in which their friendship becomes even more important because the other person is not just carrying the memory of you, but they're carrying the memory of having grown up in a particular place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you're, you're surrounded by a lot of people who don't know the context in which you, you grew up and who, to whom you have to explain all kinds of things, to, who may not you know, understand certain words that are important to you in another language. And to have that person who actually grew up in that same moment and comes back to not having to explain. But I also wanted, I was very interested in the question of how they become powerful women and mm-hmm. how they play with that. Now, sort of interested in, in complicated in that by saying, yeah, they're powerful, but they're women, which means they're not naturally in power in mm. power structure. Um, and also they're migrants. So they're, again, not naturally in the power structure, you know, and, and not in second generation migrants, they are first generation migrants. And and so there are all these ways in which they shouldn't be in, in a traditional kind of way of seeing things. They shouldn't be occupying these roles. And they don't have a lot of role models for how to occupy their, these roles because everyone they've known who, who's been in these roles has not been, you know, the migrant woman. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they're both kind of making it up as they go along. Yeah. Um, they're both not it they're not so totally comfortable or they came to this place as strangers and they've had to make themselves at home there and i want to write about the different ways in which they go about doing that i found it fascinating that they both did become these powerful women without giving too much away obviously how important was it for you to to put them in those positions of power it was pretty important i mean the the early section this isn't a spoiler because it's history mm-hmm. um, so the early section of the novel is it's you know they're 14 years old it's 1988 in and there's a military dictatorship it's all horrible and then the dictatorship ends you know the the dictator mm. is, is killed and there are elections and a 35 year old woman comes to power and suddenly for them it feels like anything is possible for a girl mm-hmm. and power which had always looked very masculine now has this woman at her heart but and they're both sort of looking at it in their different ways and feeling the world is different now um, yeah and i wanted to, that to carry through in in their lives as they grow up this sense of actually women can inhabit these spaces but also we we're not quite sure how to do it. So this is something that actually happened in Pakistan. Yeah, okay, that's something I was aware of. 
yeah. So, and that was yes. when you were younger. It was when I was younger. So, you know, the girls are 14, I was 15, and, and suddenly there's a 35-year-old woman as prime minister who's been voted in by this country. And, you know, it all looks sort of amazing and, and 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 there's a duality which is on one hand everything feels different and you think a girl can do anything but on the other hand you're still a teenage girl in a teenage girl's body men who looked at you in a way that made you uncomfortable are still doing that so they, that's sort of the duality they have to live with so whilst we're talking about the beginning um, I really wanted to speak about so obviously the novel kind of begins at this pivotal moment in these characters lives you know their bodies are changing they have this new awareness of their bodies they have this kind of new awareness of the male gaze, as you said. And we particularly love uh, Marianne's kind of irritation with her body suddenly not being fully capable of its usual cricket playing abilities. And we were just wondering, why was it important mm. to you, for the readers, to meet the characters at this particular age? So they're 14 and really, you know, it starts, it's the first day of school and Mariam has been away over the summer and she comes back and she's been away two months, Zara hasn't seen her, and she walks through the school gates and she's got breasts. <laughs> You know, <laughs> her figure is different. She's got breasts and she's her hair's done in a new way. And suddenly the boys are looking at her and she's aware of them looking at her. Mm-hmm. And Zara is aware of the boys looking at her and it introduces a new dynamic. And, and for the first time, the two girls start to keep secrets from each other because mm-hmm. there's such, you know, there's such a sense of secrecy and shame around sexuality as well that they don't quite feel they can say to each other, this is what I want, you know, or one of them feels, well, the other one wants to prove of the boy who I'm having these secret conversations with and the other one feels I can't speak of these you know feelings of desire I have now that I don't quite understand myself but also it means that they're aware of power and powerlessness in a new way so Mariam in particular suddenly is seeing she's having an effect on the men around her and boys Mm. around her and there's a part of her that really likes it and there's a part of her that hates it I mean so there's that bit where she's that rare girl who plays cricket with the boys and always has and suddenly she's got these breasts which feel weird to run with and no one has introduced her to the concept of a sports bra so (laughs) when she sweats it all gets kind of obvious and horrible (laughs) she feels wrong and self-conscious and she hates that she feels wrong and self-conscious so that that, that weirdness of that moment when you stop being a child yeah. and you enter into womanhood together and they're partly doing it together side by side, but they're also starting to keep secrets from each other and, mm-hmm. and secrets will then multiply as the years go on. Mm-hmm. There's also that that moment when she walks, she goes into a, is it a grandfather's office? Mm-hmm. And he tells her to get out and then he says like you know you've come in here looking like how does he describe it something like 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 the women in the in the movies yeah. when they've been yeah. like it's been like a like, rain shower wet, or something and wet shirt the women, and there's that women like, in Bollywood movies who've been caught in a, in a rain shower <laughs> while wearing the white sun yeah, yeah. I love that moment because it was funny but then there's also you know there is so much in that moment like it holds so much weight mm-hmm. and you know that's shame that's immediately being put on her young female body that's kind of coming you know she's grown into a woman and Im- immediately she's being met with this shame and for it to be put on her by one of the most important people in her life you know she really idolizes her grandfather I think that was kind of a perfect way to show how much shame affects women mm-hmm. and affects young women mostly. So early as well yeah on a lighter note I did uh feel like I completely sympathized with her uh banging boobs on door frames 
and not quite knowing <laughs> how big she was because believe you me have I not done that a few times <laughs> especially when I was younger like oh yeah I can yeah. still do that and then like, bouncing off <laughs> it happens guys it happens <laughs> again moving on from that I think mm. that the most important well the most central theme of the book to me is is friendship mm. especially childhood friendship like we've covered before but I wanted to go a bit deeper into that because I felt like Zara and Mariam's friendship their lifelong friendship really for reflected some of the relationships that I've had in my life I know Hannah's had in her life I think you've had in your life where you mm. we still seem to be connected to these people that we've known since we were four mm. why was that such a key factor in the novel for you this sort of having them know each other from four years old to 14 and then keeping that going till they're 45. I think one of the things I was interested in is how we deal today with people who hold points of view that we find really objectionable. And I think this is a question that is much more of a question in the world now than it was say 10 or 15 years ago. And partly it's because you can't, you know, social media means you can't not see people's views, partly. Yeah. They're sort of putting them out there and people are responding all the time. And and this question of, well, you know, how can I speak to someone who feels this way or sees the world this way is, is something that I've been hearing come up quite a lot. And I and I did think, well, let's look at that one of those relationships where actually it is possible to, as a middle-aged person, to be holding a relationship with someone who really does see the world very differently from you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you sort of do start to wonder, are we friends because we've always been friends and that's just the glue that's holding us together? And should we be friends? Can I yeah. bear to be friends with you? Um, yeah. so it's actually not even should I be friends because it's not a question of should. It's not. A, it actually stops being a moral question. I think that was one of the things I understood as I was writing it, that it wasn't a moral question of is it ethically right to be friends with someone who I think holds reprehensible view and does damage in the world to other people. It's actually more a question of what can I bear? You know, what can you bear coming from someone else? What is the breaking point of a lifelong relationship? And I want it to be a lifelong relationship because I wanted to make it clear that the loss of this friendship will be devastating. That it's not the kind of friendship you let go of easily because, you know, there's that great Zadie Smith line, you can't make new old friends. Mm-hmm. It's if you lose your childhood best friend, that's it. You are not getting another childhood best friend. So you really want to hold on. It is an absolutely irreplaceable relationship. But is there a point, is there a breaking point in it? And and one of the, you know, there's sort of two sides of it. So one of them looks at the other and thinks, God, I think you you hold some really awful views. But the other one is looking at the first and, and knowing you think you're better than me. Mm. You know, I know you hold some disdain for how I am in the world and who I am. And that's also a very hard thing to live with in a friendship. Yeah. yeah. I think class is such a, a big topic as well. And it is it is so, it's such a, yeah, a divisive thing, I guess, in friendships. It, it, you know, me and Lydia are both working class and we grew up working class. But, you know, making, I didn't realise that I was working class until I went to university <laughs> and then met a lot of middle class <laughs> made a lot of middle class what? friends and I was like oh you yeah. you're jetting off to uh yeah. to this villa that your parents own and you've got this and, and you're, you've got all these all this money that I don't have and, and you don't have these money worries and um I, and I think you know it, it's really interesting to look at class through the lens of a friendship especially one that's as close as these two characters I mean, how important was like class divide, talking about class divide for you? It was really important. And I wanted to, I wanted to show 
from a very early stage that that you know there are all kinds of ways in which they have things in common but there are these very serious differences mm, yeah. um, and so one was the class issue and i have them being kind of class adjacent which is to say there's not a huge gulf they're both in quite exclusive private school mm -hmm. but there's a slight difference even there because you know Zara's mother used to teach in the school and you think, well, that may be her route in. Mm -hmm. Whereas Marianne's family is just, you know, they're very rich and well-connected and probably have had generations at that kind of school. And they they live not too far away from each other. So kind of in the same neighborhood, but one lives in a small flat, which her family has only just moved into, mm -hmm. having moved up in the world a little. And the other lives in this huge sprawling house. And they they see them, they see, they see the differences. You know, Marianne goes abroad for holidays and Zara's never left the country. And they're really aware of it, but they're also aware of different sympathies as a result or who, who in the world you feel solidarity with you know yeah. and, so, and so Mariam very much lives in a world which is in a kind of state of exception the rules for normal people don't apply to them you know mm -hmm. we recognize these people they're the people who think they can you know set a certain law for how people behave during COVID but they don't have to follow those yeah. laws rising and parties she belongs <laughs> to that kind of world and, and and Zara, for all that her family is reasonably well off, I mean, they're not struggling to pay the bills. And her father's a well-known TV personality, but they don't believe in, live in that state of exception. They can be in trouble. Her father almost gets quite close to being in trouble with the dictatorship. And, and she is aware of how precarious everything is. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Now, I was say that, that when they get to London, even though in some ways they're moving closer together in class than they were when they were kids, but they still retain a very different sense of how they see their relationship to the world and other people in it. Mm, yeah, mm. absolutely. I did have a quote that I'm going to read your own book back to you. I'm sorry, <laughs> but I have I have a quote. And as soon as now I see dog earring pages as a sign of love for my books. Lydia hates the fact that I've done this, so I'm sorry if you're on Lydia's side. I, I well, you know, I'm very happy to see other pe people dog ear my books because I see it as oh, they think my, me. I'm I'm look. I'm holding up, here is a book, and it has in it a bookmark. One wow. bookmark. You know? The thing is, I do use yeah. bookmarks. No, no, I'm not. Yeah. I do use bookmarks, but when there's a page or a particular paragraph that I really want to go back to at some point, I have to put fold the pages you know, down. Yeah, but do you know what they have for that? Little tab stickers. You can use I don't little want tab stickers. They, no, I want to fold my pages. Tab stickers look a little too much like you're at university. They do. Thank you. I think, I think that's yeah. why I like it. It appeals to the student in me. Okay. <laughs> enough <laughs> so the the quote i wanted to read was yeah. to me a, a beautiful way of encapsulating the power of female friendship their laughter built moving beyond the immediate joke into a deep laugh of joy for friendship for each other for the certainty that whatever happened in the world you would always have this one person this north star this rock this alter ego who knew your every flaw down to your atoms and who still despite it all chose to stand with you and buy you through everything that the world had yet to throw at you. Every heartache, every disappointment, every moment of darkness, always this friendship, always it's light. Now, that, <laughs> that is just so beautiful. I just, yeah, I, I couldn't Gorgeous. have loved that quote anymore if I tried. But just that particular quote, you know, there's a real intimacy. And as you were saying before, a real solidarity between these two characters, um, which, as I've said, you articulated beautifully in that particular quote and throughout. But how do you feel the external factors, both kind of social and political, impacted their closeness? 
you know, especially with them living under this dictatorship? I think more than they recognized at the time. Mm. Because at the time, there's there's one way in which it's quite possible to feel that your your lives are pretty much on parallel tracks. You're going to the same school, which means five days a week, they're getting the same school uniform and going to the same classes and seeing the same people, you know, and sharing, you know, gossip about the kids they like and the ones they don't like and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And so it creates a sense of so much is shared. Mm. But actually, there is, there is this other world they're living which has to do with their very different families you know and they're they're learning about the world from their families as well and they're learning very different kinds of things mm, um, yeah. and it's almost as though at 14 they have they have very little power in the world to do anything so it's it's like that's stage like where they're learning things but they're not doing anything with it very much and then when they grow older we start to see how those lessons they took in as children are now becoming actions in the world and and you hopefully see how oh actually at 14 you know, even while they were being so close they were learning to read the world in very different ways absolutely the part that I want to talk about most and that I really wanted to get your opinion on is there is a pivotal moment in the book where um, Marianne and Zara leave a party and without mm. giving too much away do something quite risky mm. um, and they begin to have this like increasing panic that I think that most if not all women have felt mm. at some point in their lives of like oh this is has gone from fun to scary mm. really quickly <laughs> and I think you were speaking about it um at a recent talk you did about it being like a switch that flicks in your head of kind of I'm fine and then all of a sudden you're in like and what you call it is like girl fear which is this girl fear mode of like oh no now yeah, I'm in danger yeah this could be dangerous yeah. and and I think every woman has felt that so how how integral was it for you to include that moment and to include girl fear as a concept in this novel um it was really important it was so central to that sense of them becoming adolescents and, and sexual and sexualized beings you know i think quite often we see the case where the woman is in that situation which turns really bad and it is really bad but i think again as you say most if not all women know that moment where you're in a situation and you suddenly realize this could go very bad yeah and and thankfully a lot of time it doesn't you know you're okay but it's so terrifying just when that switch goes in your head that girl fear switch of i'm living in a female body so i'm vulnerable violence can happen to me all kinds of things and i it was very important within the novel because it is that moment where they feel they go from i mean it's the night that 35 year old woman becomes elected prime minister so they're on this high of a girl can do anything and then they go from a girl can do anything to anything can happen to a girl and in some way it's something that that stays with them through through their lives this idea of you know power and powerlessness and how they coexist yeah. but also when they're 14 there's they, there's nothing they can do about the situation they're in and many years later when they have a certain kind of power the question becomes okay now you can do something when when let's say the ghost of that situation returns mm. it becomes now that you are in positions of power what are you going to do about it how would you respond differently you know mm. how are you how are you answering that teenage version of yourself who knew she was powerless and wished she wasn't 
I think as well, there's there's such a, a huge thing in the novel where the males in their life or around them, you know, have such a huge effect on them. You know, even when Prime Minister is assassinated, okay. he's assassinated. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. you know, they have a female Prime Minister and, um, you know, they suddenly see this positive representation for women. The men in that, you know, there's still a sense that men have the power over them, even when they can see, you know, this positive representation, yeah. you know, she's still, um, it's Marianne that, that fears her kind of grandfather and um you know that the men in the life still have this this power over them and that does kind of move into their adult life even when they're in power you know there's yeah. still this kind of this power that Hamad's his presence has over Zara I mean what made you want to kind of explore their kind of dynamics with these different male roles in their life because I think they're so powerful but they're all so very different I wanted to explore how complicated it is so I mean they Zara has a father she adores, Mariam has a grandfather she adores. Um, one of them turns out to be more disappointing than the other, let's say. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's sort of a, a sort of starting point. But Zara, Mariam also has a father who she has no time for and thinks is useless. And then there are these men who, you know, they get into a world of attraction, repulsion. Um, and as they grow old, I want to show that actually it's, it's complicated. It's not just that if you are a woman who's a sexual being, you are a victim, that actually sexuality also brings with it its own kind of power and that that can feel quite liberating and, and wonderful. Um, mm -hmm. And the things that you wanted at 14, you can feel quite easy about having at 45. Yeah, um, yeah. But that there are, you know, that certain actions keep bringing with them consequences and that you can make stupid decision, however old you are. You can be attracted to a guy who's no good for you, even though you, and you may know it all along. And but partly also saying, yeah, but I'll walk down that road. Yeah. That once I was someone who was afraid of doing anything, stepping off the box, taking any risk, doing anything that was wrong. But now I have enough confidence in who I am that okay, I'll make a bad decision. Yeah. And I'll get something nice out of it and we'll just see how it goes. Yeah. It's that ability to be able to take the risk, isn't it? And I love again talking about having this kind of more of this self-assurance as they got older. It's a lovely moment and it's just a moment, but I think it's Zara and she's sat over on a bus or the train and she's listening to two girls, two young, mm. quite young women just talking about, you know, oh, and I just do not know what to do. Yeah. Like it's the end of yeah. the world, this conversation. And she sat there and she's like, thank goodness I'm 40. Like that, <laughs> I'm so yeah. glad that I am not, yeah. I'm not getting that emotional box. <laughs> yeah. And I can just sit here and just relax. Although, yeah, I, mean, although. I, did, I did very, I did very much want in that later section to start with showing actually it's kind of great yeah you know, they, they've got older they're comfortable with who they are with what they want their position in life and there's something that's actually really nice about not feeling so fraught and anxious and mm. yeah. you kind of got where you want to um, yeah also because it's a novel they can't sit in that position of comfort too long and i have to <laughs> <laughs> although it was a nice moment as well as it <laughs> being you spoke about them being more comfortable in themselves i think there's a moment where she's sat on the bench one of them is sat on a bench mm. and it's says something about her just kind of enjoying being sat in this park and enjoying the fact that she's in her 40s now and like yeah. you know she's in this really nice place in her life but I also yeah. loved that even at this later stage in her life she's still yeah. just as disappointed in men I mean that <laughs> that um sex scene yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to speak about with whom but yeah. <laughs> there is a sex scene <laughs> it was That's so well done and yeah. so funny <laughs> Yeah. The disappointment of... <laughs> oh no 
you know, he said, I can't remember what he says to her. He says something like, uh, but just, just like, are you enjoying this? And she's clearly not, but she's just yeah. like, yeah, yeah just <laughs> I'll just get this over with. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on, we wanted to speak about, obviously politics plays a huge, it's almost like a character itself, the politics, yeah. you know, your novel vividly explores class systems and politics of Pakistan and of London. And we kind of start in the 80s under this dictatorship in Pakistan. And then we move into modern day in Britain where corruption is still just as rife as we know (laughs) Um, but it's kind of difficult to mention these two places without mentioning their politics Um, so where did the decision come from to place Zara at the heart Mm. of British politics? I wanted them to be both of them in different ways to be engaging with these really important questions of of sort of what influence do you have in the world and how Mm. are you going to you know, and it does relate back then to them being 14 year old, looking at a woman in power and thinking, okay, that's pretty amazing. Let's do that, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I didn't quite want them to be, you know, the prime minister or the home secretary, partly because in the last novel, Home Fire, I had the home secretary and I didn't want to tread that same ground. And I was interested in this, in actually the layer just beneath that. And it's, you know, Mariam grows up in this world where her family's very politically connected and can get things done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sort of interested in that layer of people um, who are not actually making policy decisions, but they're kind of involved at one level or the other, whether it's Zara through being the head of the civil liberties organization or Mariam who eventually becomes a, a political donor. Um, mm-hmm. So that they're sort of set against each other in some way because mm-hmm. they both want to influence what's going on in the world, but in very different ways. I think as well, what interested me was particularly the moment with Zara's father. There's a moment where we asked to sort of praise the dictator and give him credit on mm. his show he's got, he's got a very popular tv show everybody watches it it's about cricket and they're kind of like well could you just maybe mention the dictator yeah. next time and he's sort of like oh no um <laughs> but that moment how how important was that moment for you to have there for zara to see that moment as well i wanted very much just to set it against you know there's Mariam's family and they they pretty much make up their own rules and don't care very about anything mm-hmm. um, as it's affecting the wider world because they really believe the world's awful and that means you have to look after your own interests and protect the people around you. And Zara's father has a, a very different sense of you are part of a society mm-hmm. and you really have to you know, be be part of the solution, not the problem. And there's that moment where where he is taking a principled position and Zara, her first response is to be angry with him because all she's seeing is you could get in trouble with this, why are you doing it? Mm-hmm. Um, but then later on, she comes to look back and, and think, actually, that was sort of amazing. And that it becomes very important to her own character and who she wants to be. I think she mm-hmm. has a hard time being that person than her father does, but that mm-hmm. is that's sort of the what she aspires to yeah i love that i did love the fact that her first response was what are you doing yeah just say it it doesn't matter yeah. <laughs> like just say it but it is that adolescent understanding isn't it like you, yeah. you have a very limited understanding of the decisions that your parents make and you know your parents will make certain decisions and you'll watch them as a young person and be really terrified by them yeah. and and not be able to comprehend them and then you know when you become an adult and you sort of see things for yourself you're like ah so that's why my mom and dad are the way they are yeah that's why they made yeah. those choices that's why they thought this would be best for me at the but, time I resented them but now it makes sense but we never tell them that that's the rule no, as children no. you never yeah. tell them that yeah. 
it breaks the code. <laughs> <laughs> so without giving too much away, um, Mariam and Zara do end up living very different personal lives. So not just professionally, they're these very powerful women, but, per- but personal lives as well, they do differ. And they have lives that may have defied their family's initial expectations of them. Why was it important for the women to end up where they did in their personal lives in the book? Well, one of the things I knew that I wanted to avoid was writing the story where, where Mariam is the where Zara is the one who is sort of you know out doing civil liberties and fighting the good fight and, and she's going to have the happy stable domestic life and, and yeah. Mariam is going to be someone who is working towards you know a more greed based yeah things and and therefore her personal life is going to be a disaster and you know she's going to be unhappy and I really I mean I didn't I don't believe in that binary I didn't want to write it so so one of the things was I wanted to disrupt that but I also thought you know the they're women who in all kinds of ways are living outside the box they're living outside the world of expectations they grew up in when when they were growing up no one was doing any of the things they're doing and that that means they're able within their personal lives as well to say, well, let's do something different here. Let's, you know, mm-hmm. what feels right rather than what are the expect- expectations that, that anyone is going to place on me. Yeah. But the other part of it is, is crucially about their friendship, which is they know that whatever decision they make, the other one, when, when they're 14, they're quite, they're more judgy of each other. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that actually by the time they're grown women, they, they're kind of just looking to each other and saying, the question isn't, are you doing the right thing? Are you with the right person? Are you living the right kind of life? It's, are you okay? yeah you know and as long as you're okay your friend is going to be okay with that and and the one of them who has the more domestic setup will will say to the other one well yeah but this is your family too you know and so they complement each other in all kinds of ways and and that it's one of the nice things about their relationship as it grows older is that they're 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 very much more accepting of okay you do you Mm -hmm. you in certain ways and and i'm I'm just here to check that, that you're okay yeah so uh, before we let you go, because we are keeping you past 5 p.m. <laughs> um we when we whenever we finish a book um that we love, we are always eager to find out where the author has taken inspiration from. So are there any authors that you would love to recommend that you have taken inspiration from? I mean, it's a very the obvious friendship novels are of course the Elena Ferrente ones. Mm-hmm. And I think, and and they're a very different version of friendship because actually, you know, the one in her, there's there is more jealousy, and a boy does get in the way in a more obvious yeah. way. But I think what she is so brilliant at is actually showing the context of their lives and they're growing up in these really violent societies and how that is working its way in. So I mean, I you know, I do think she's she's brilliant at that. I I suspect that a lot of the friendships in my life have a have a larger role in it than the novels in some ways I was sort of writing the novel that I didn't find out in the world yeah but you know it does mean that now that I've written the novel I'm I'm sort of looking at other where other friendship stories are um, and it's not a book but a, a tv show that I loved recently was A League of Their Own which oh, is it was a movie in the 90s with Madonna um, you know based on the actual setting up of a women's baseball league um, and now it's been made into a tv series and it's, it's fantastic and there is in it this central female relationship these two women max and clancy and they've been childhood friends and it's brilliant because you you see it from the first you absolutely see yep they've been friends forever they're completely different they've got each other's back they love each other they have secrets from each other yeah. um and I that was brilliantly done i love that i, I love to watch that yeah. uh, it's one of my cultural wrecks now <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, if there been anything else that you could recommend to us, anything you've listened to, anything you've watched as well, anything like that that you think I must tell tell you guys about this. So I've been mentioning this one a lot because I read it quite I read it quite recently, which is Elaine Castillo's book How We Read Now, which is a book of, of nonfiction. Um, and it's really essays about, you know, how if you you grew up in a world where where the world of books and readers and critics and writers was largely in the English language, was largely a white world. What happens now that actually that's changed and how do we need to adjust our reading patterns? Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's a really smart one. Uh, the TV show I'm binging on these days is Good Girls. I don't know if you've come uh-huh. But again, it's got female friendship at the heart of it. It's these three women, well, two of them are sisters, but the three of them who, you know, start off as sort of suburban housewives and then become criminals. Um, I love right, that. Yeah, no, we're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for that <laughs> uh, honestly thank you so much Camilla for for taking the time to come on to a pair of bookends like we can't thank you enough for doing this and um, best of friends is out now and we will be popping a link in the show notes on places that you can order it from a huge thank you to Roz from Bloomsbury for our copies and um, as always listeners please don't forget to rate review and subscribe as it helps to boost us in the charts Camilla our final question to you before we let you go do you have any um, events coming up that you would love our listeners to come to I have events coming up uh, in Cambridge and in Hay on Wye in sort of November. So if you're on Cambridge Literature Festival or Hay on Wye, I think the How To Academy is having an online event also in November. So, you know, go and Google those things. And- no, I will <laughs> pop links to all of those in the show notes. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, thank Camilla. Thank you so much. And thank uh, you very much to both of you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank Bye. You. Bye. Bye. Bye.